This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Warning. This podcast is an audio documentary of a real crime case, which may be troubling and upsetting to certain listeners. Listener discretion is advised. It began as a regular afternoon commute on the Taipei subway. Shortly before rush hour on May 21st, 2014, passengers on the city's blue metro line went about their day, sneaking in a quick nap or playing with their mobile phones. The train pulled out of a station. Then there was a commotion. Huddled up against one end of a train car, a group of commuters were face-to-face with a young man brandishing a knife. They tried to defend themselves with whatever they had in hand. Go away! Open the umbrella! Go quickly! Go away! A killer was on the loose. He had made his way through the crowded cabin, hacking passengers at random with a long knife. It would be at least a couple of minutes before the train reached the next station. Everyone on board was trapped. Some commuters barely had time to register the terror. One witness told local media of the chaos inside. Everyone ran to the front of the carriage. I thought the train was on fire, but turns out it wasn't. Everyone was shouting, murder, murder, and everyone ran forward. You're listening to True Crimes of Asia, a special podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Yip Yi, ST's Taiwan correspondent. This episode takes place in Taiwan, which, despite its turbulent geopolitical challenges on the international stage, is actually regarded as one of the safest places in the world due to its low rates of violent crime. In 2014, however, a deadly stabbing spree broke out on the metro system in the Taiwanese capital of Taipei, unsettling residents across the island of 23 million. Four people killed, 24 others injured, 10 in critical condition. The assailant, a then 21-year-old university student named Zheng Jie, was arrested immediately following the frenzied attack. However, the widespread fear and fury in the aftermath was palpable. In the wake of the stabbing spree, Taiwanese were left shocked and horrified as they grappled with the rare incident of violence. There was also public disquiet as the case reignited fierce debate over the island's continued use of capital punishment. Just a few years earlier, judicial authorities had come under fire over a wrongful execution. In 2011, courts ruled that Taiwanese Air Force Private Jiang Guoqing, who was executed 14 years earlier for the rape and murder of a five-year-old girl, was innocent after all. The court found he had been tortured into confessing. Still, angry Taiwanese wanted Zheng to pay for the crime by sending him to death row. 
Executions in Taiwan are typically carried out by shooting. Prisoners are sedated, laid face down, and then shot through the heart or head. When Zheng was being transported while in custody, passersby would shout insults at him, calling him scum or a piece of trash. Some even tried to attack him physically. But civil rights groups felt otherwise, advocating for Zheng's life to be spared and for the death penalty to be abolished. Zheng's mental state was the subject of intense legal dispute. The groups argued that killing him would not solve the larger issue, which was how society had failed to pick up on the warning signs displayed by individuals facing mental health challenges. It was reported that Zheng did have such issues, harboring disturbing thoughts of murder since childhood. The question was, how how could a young man out of no reason who has never been tortured has no any priors in his life all of a sudden just took two knives in a backpack and you know get on or got on the uh, MRT and start killing people that was Mr. Leon Huang Zheng Jie's defense attorney who told the Straits Times that he was just as puzzled as everyone else when he first took on the case during their first meeting, he had even told Zheng that the odds were not in their favor and to be prepared to face the death sentence. I said, you, you got to understand this, Mr. Cheng. Um, you created fear and they're going to pay back, you know, with anger. This young man said, you know what? Do whatever you want. You know, the precise language that he used in Chinese is do whatever you want with, with uh, you know, a bit of the contempt in, in his tone of voice. Zheng's stabbing spree began at 4.22 p.m., just moments after the metro train left Longshan Temple Station for Jiangzi Cui Station. He chose that particular route, knowing that it was the longest stretch between any two stations along the city's metro system. The journey was just four minutes long. But for those on board, it would be the longest four minutes of their lives. Brandishing two knives, a Swiss Army pocket knife and a 30-centimeter titanium steel knife. Zheng began by stabbing three sleeping passengers. It took a few moments before commuters even realized what was happening. Many had their eyes glued to their mobile phones or were plugged in, listening to music. Then, Zheng began moving between carriages. He continued stabbing, at random. Within minutes, he had attacked 28 people. 
One eyewitness video showed a group of passengers banding together, with those at the front trying to fend him off with an umbrella and screaming at him to get away. Go away! Open the umbrella! Go quickly! Go away! Those in front, don't move! Those behind, get out quickly! Yes! Go! Go away! Go away! Finally, the train arrived at the next station. And as soon as the doors opened, terrified commuters burst out of the cabins, trying to get away from their attacker. But Zheng was undeterred. He calmly strolled onto the station platform where he continued his rampage. Video footage showed commuters ducking out of Zheng's path. And at one point, he even ran up a flight of stairs towards the station entrance, chasing more victims. Station employees and commuters tried to subdue Zheng by throwing anything they could find at him. Bags, garbage cans, and newspapers. Eventually, they cornered him just minutes before the police arrived. Postgraduate student Feng Zhengyu used a mop to block Zheng's path in case he tried to escape. Speaking to local media at the time, he said, I actually wanted to run at first. I wanted to run away. But then I thought about it. My physique is better than most people. So at least I should try to block him. Why did a seemingly normal man commit such an attack? After being questioned by the police, the motive for the mass stabbing seemed senseless as compared to the death and harm inflicted. New Taipei City Police Commissioner Chen Guo-en told reporters that Zheng had wanted to do something big. He had this idea since he was young, probably when he was in elementary school. He told his classmates in high school or college that he had this idea, that he wanted to do something big. An incident like this MRT killing. During his arrest, Zheng remained expressionless. As authorities brought him out towards the police vehicle that day, he did not react to the barrage of questions thrown at him. Zheng Jie, do you know you killed four people? Do you have anything to say? Is this the big thing that you wanted to do? Don't you feel sorry towards your parents for doing this? How can they face people in the future? In fact, according to local media, he had told police investigators that it felt nice to have carried out the attack. Zheng claimed this obsession to do something shocking and impactful had been his sole reason. He even fantasized about such an incident. Why did he choose to attack that day? He said he did not have classes and had grown tired of living. Zheng even went on to say that if his parents had been on board the train, they would not have been spared. Mr. Huang, Zheng's lawyer, recalls discussing this obsession that had stemmed from childhood with his client. He wanted to do something big, at the age of around 10 or 11. And that all started with how he felt he was wrong 
when he was still in elementary school by his class teacher, wrongfully accused him of, you know,、um, causing trouble or nuance to other classmates, female classmates, and he was forced to apologize. Mr. Hong believes it is not uncommon for someone to feel upset by such an incident, but it was unusual for someone to harbor a grudge over it for so long. I talked to him. I said, "Mr. Ting, I never understand why this personal hatred—if it was hatred at all—this, this, you know, sensation of being wronged, of deprivation—would eventually have grown into something so." Humongous and so dark that you want to kill so many people for no reason. Mr. Huang said that Zheng enjoyed three peaceful years later in high school, when he felt like he belonged. But college was a different story. After dropping out of a military academy, he struggled to keep up with his studies as an engineering student at Donghai University. I think that's where he went into this solitude, complete shutdown. I mean, shut down from the population around him, shut down from the community. When he went into that college, he started writing. Zheng had no friends, and turned to the internet. He penned numerous essays and poems and online blog posts, all disturbingly dark. They were, you know, almost unanimously about destruction, death, really, really dark themes, and killings too. Not just kill other people, but killing himself as well, as if he's trying to extinguish his own existence. A schoolmate alerted the university, but Zheng brushed off concerns. He said that he was just writing fictional horror stories. He also failed to show up for a formal counseling session. He never received therapy. Ultimately, Mr. Huang believes Zheng was a very lonely soul, desperately. Seeking attention. There are two ways to get attention: you become a hero, a famous person, a super athlete, or you become a villain. If you want to get attention, if you feel like your existence has turned into something that's pale and transparent that nobody can even see you, how do you seek attention? You go out with a bang. On May tenth. 2016, Zheng was executed with three gunshots to the heart. His death came after a tug of war between activists and the government. The execution was held just 18 days after the Supreme Court upheld Zheng's death sentence. This time frame was the shortest period ever between a final verdict and an execution since Taiwan lifted martial law in 1987. The court had ruled just weeks before that Zheng did not meet the clinical classification of insanity when he had committed the crime, but a psychological evaluation determined that he had social alienation tendencies. The report also said that he exhibited personality disorders. One of them included narcissistic disorder, which could result in an inflated sense of importance and a lack of empathy. Still. The public was furious over Zheng's crime, and the victims' families said that the death penalty was the only acceptable punishment. Mr. Chu, the son of a victim, said, "He died. I can only forgive him. 
if he dies. If he doesn't die, it's impossible for me to forgive him. This was not just the view of the courts and the affected families. Faced with media pressure demanding an answer for his actions, even Zheng's own parents asked for their son to be put to death. Outside of Jiang Zicui metro station, in front of a scrum of reporters, his grief-stricken parents apologized and begged for forgiveness. Someone from the crowd yelled at them to kneel down. The middle-aged man sank to his knees while his wife hit her forehead on the ground repeatedly. The father sobbed. The prosecutor will likely hand him the death sentence. Although he is our child, it is something he must face. Only by doing so may the pains inflicted on the victims and the wounded and their families be slightly eased. It really pains me, but I must say this. The judge should make a decision quickly to bring comfort to families of the injured and the victims. I bow down again. I hope Cheng Chie can be a good person in his next life. Many questioned if there were political motivations behind the extraordinary speediness of Zheng's execution. Just 10 days later, the new Democratic Progressive Party government was set to be sworn in, taking over from the Kuomintang. Activist Wu Jiazhen, Deputy Director of the Taiwan Alliance to End the Death Penalty, recalled the surprise all around when the execution was carried out. Perhaps the former Minister of Justice, Luo Yingxue, from the Mainzhou administration wanted to keep the quote-unquote credit in her tenure. We don't know why the execution happened so soon, and that's why. Whether it is a person who supports the death penalty, or a person who supports the abolition of the death penalty, we were all very shocked. But Minister of Justice Luo Yingxue defended the decision. She told reporters, In this case, violence was committed in broad daylight and in full view and against innocent people. His harm was very serious, and it had a great negative impact on social security, causing people to panic and feel that Taiwan society is no longer safe. So, in order to lead the society on the right track and let those who want to worship him or imitate him know and be vigilant, we close the case quickly. In Taiwan, executions are reserved for the most serious crimes, such as aggravated murder and kidnapping. And opinion surveys show majority support for the death penalty. But opponents say that these yes-no polls are too simplistic for a complex matter like capital punishment. Ms. Wu, the activist, said, If you just ask whether you support or oppose the death penalty without giving enough information or sufficient background, then this kind of poll is indeed problematic. Dr. Catherine Shu, a criminal psychologist at National Jiayi University, 
believes Taiwan missed an opportunity to glean lessons from Zheng's case and how his background and mental state could have contributed to his final act. Because the death penalty carried out fast, so we lost a chance to really dive into his history and his psychological issues. So it's just like, poof, he's gone. So are we supposed to back to normal? No, it will never be like that. The stabbing spree that day and its senseless motivations left Taiwan stunned and terrified. People were too scared to ride the subway, and ridership on the typically clean and efficient transport system dropped by nearly one million passengers in the 10 days that followed. In response, legislators demanded that police beef up patrols in public areas. But the issue of mental health and psychological care could not be ignored as it would repeatedly return to the forefront of discussions in Taiwanese society. In the next two years, Taiwan saw at least two more high-profile homicides, also with mental instability apparently playing a role. In May 2015, 29-year-old Gong Chong-an slit the throat of an eight-year-old in the toilet of her school, claiming that he had heard voices urging him to do so. In March 2016, 33-year-old Wang Jingyu decapitated the head of a four-year-old girl in front of her mother in broad daylight while having hallucinations. Both perpetrators were social outcasts and neither had received adequate psychiatric treatment. They were sentenced to life imprisonment, though many called for their deaths. Legal justice controversies aside, psychologists like Dr. Chu say that Taiwan is in need of greater mental health awareness. Stigma remains a big problem, and many Taiwanese do not seek help, either for themselves or for their loved ones. Usually, if there's nothing bad happen, like try to commit suicide, attempt suicide, or try to hurt people, probably, I think, uh, for parents, they kind of was in a denial state. They don't want to admit that their children have some kind of mental issues. Part of the problem is that Taiwanese often choose to ignore social problems they do not really understand, rather than tackle them head-on. According to Mr. Huang, who said, I think one of the very prominent features of Taiwanese people is they long for stability. Xiaorizi, have you heard of it? The little days. Taiwanese people yearn, they long for the xiaorizi, the stable life the nothing-happened days, the quiet life, uh, the, the peaceful years. So anyone who dares to cross them by bringing problems to the society, problems like, you know, if you point out an existing problem or you create a problem, you're a troublemaker. Taiwanese people hate troublemakers. Zheng's crime shocked Taiwan, but most have since moved on. Dr. Chu herself agreed. People try uh, not to think about it again and then try to pretend, well, he's dead and he's a weirdo and a strange person. And so, well, I don't think anybody would do the same thing again. So people try to just like blind our mind, <laughs> blind our eyes and try to pretend things, nothing's going to happen. 
The silver lining is that today, there's greater access to mental health help within communities. Such facilities have been made more affordable and for the majority of the population are a less than 30-minute journey away. According to government statistics, 2.8 million Taiwanese sought treatment for mental health issues in 2019. In May 2022, the health ministry established a new department dedicated to mental health programs. This unit had previously been combined with other medical specialties, but would now be carved out to suit specific needs. In August 2023, the ministry launched a new scheme offering free psychological consultations for young people aged between 15 and 30. Non-governmental mental health support groups have also sprouted online and island-wide. These are encouraging signs that more efforts are being made to dispel the stigma associated with mental health and hopefully offer more solutions or even just a listening ear to those who need it. But experts said that ultimately, such avenues are useless if those struggling with mental health issues constantly feel persecuted by the larger community. Dr. Chu said, for a start, everyone could show more kindness and compassion. Try to provide more kindness in our daily life and try to be more sensitive to those who are uh, shy and borderline people among the society and try to reach out more. Probably uh, we can offer our society a better help, which means that would prevent bad things from happening. Probably because a kindness gesture would help or save these young people. Meanwhile, Mr. Huang, Zheng's lawyer, was among the handful who were convinced that Zheng had the potential to change if given the chance. When the Supreme Court upheld the death sentence, Zheng said something that has stayed with the attorney till this day. Two years after you know the commitment of the crime, two years later, two and a half years later, and he was like, you, you can see how this person's attitude changed. He was even like smiling, not smirking. He was smiling. He was like, you know what? I think you're trying too hard. We, we all expected this, right? I mean, you, you should just let go. You've spent, you've, you've, you're too emotionally invested. That's he was talking to me. I said, no, um, this is my duty. All right. So um, at that very point, he said something like, well, I wish, I wish I have met someone like you who would fight for me along the way before I even committed such an act and hurt those people. In Zheng's final trial appearance, he apologized twice to the victims' families. While Zheng knew that he would be dead in a few months, he expressed dissatisfaction with Taiwan's prison system that other inmates would have to live with. He said that inmates are forced to take on menial but labor-intensive tasks in jail, such as making toothpicks, which leave them with no future or dignity. He added, that released offenders often face discrimination in society and would have difficulty finding work. For Mr. Huang, Zheng's lawyer, this showed a glimmer of hope. I think that showed he actually cared for the society. And if any sign at all, I think that's reform. 
You were listening to the second last episode of True Crimes of Asia, a special podcast series started by The Straits Times in 2023. It was narrated by Yip Yi, produced and edited by Eden So and Faiza Sani. And the executive producers are Ernest Lewis and Tan Tam Mei. The next and final episode of the True Crimes of Asia series will be out on the 26th of September. If you'd like to read more of Yip Yi's columns on Taiwan, there's a link in our podcast show notes. Once again, do follow ST's True Crimes of Asia podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. Get notified when we drop the latest episodes. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.